For interior designer, author, and visionary Vincent Wolff, a successful space is always in motion, an open system that can be visited by the occasional shooting star. For the past 45 years, he has perfected the vocabulary of modern design with a strong reference to the past. His list of projects is an interior designer's bucket list that includes hotels, retail spaces, apartment buildings, and private residences across the United States and around the world. He's been recognized as a leader or legend in every design publication you know, including the AD100, El Decor's A-List, New York Space's Top 50 Designers, and House Beautiful's 10 Most Influential Designers, to name a few. I spoke with him back in 2012, and in this time of continued flux, I thought it might be comforting to share a lesson in longevity. When was the moment you decided to become an interior designer? Well, it's really what led me to that. I mean, I had gotten fired out of every job I've ever tried for. And um, it was sort of like I was running out of uh, situations. I mean, I had certain shortcomings. I am dyslectic. I never finished high school. And uh, I am poor. I'm Cuban, so I was a, a refugee in this country. And so, though I had a creative inkling, I really didn't have all the papers to really walk into career. But I was lucky enough to meet somebody who was involved in the industry. And it sort of touched on what my childhood had been, which was my parents were in Cuba in the construction business. So I had been looking at plans and buildings going up and scaling of rooms since I was really small. So it was something that was very sort of familiar to me. And uh, that's how it started. And I started sweeping floors in the showroom and now ended up 40 years later, uh, you know, being quite happy with being in the industry. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't realize quite the extent of your background, and it's even more inspirational. Or lack of extent. I mean. <laughs> but, but, you know, to see the journey is pretty incredible. So let's talk about the creativity a little bit. Strong, sensual, light-filled, comfortable, cool, luminous. These are all some of the words that are used to describe your rooms. And so I'm curious, is there a predominant emotional experience you want people to have from your projects and products? You know, it's not something that comes consciously. Uh, I'm a, a firm believer of working from the gut. And um, so it is very instinctual when I am creating environments. I think it has to do with the basic point of view that I take towards life. You know, I think I don't like pretense. I like comfort. I like spaces that bring a sense of calm, calmness. Uh, and I think that, you know, as they, the saying goes, water seeks its own level. I mean, 
the clients want that for their own homes. So that's how we you know, we sort of meet. And it's just, you know, I, I try not to think when I'm designing. And I try to, as I said, come from instinct, what I feel is right. And, I mean, it, it's worked pretty well for me uh, through all these years. And it seems to always create environments that have those common denominators. And it's it sort of... Um, it's it's been really interesting as an observer of my work to see how it just keeps repeating itself mm. in my work. Mm. I, I'm always fascinated by the emotional journey myself with designers, and it's I I love that you acknowledge that you're repeating because oftentimes designers don't necessarily see that they are they're not conscious of it, but as an as an outsider I can see it. You know, and maybe because you've been so well published, too, you're reminded constantly, "Hey, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this." Is there a favorite or memorable project for you? Another of my problems, I have so many, I forget, (laughs) (coughs) is short-term memory. Right. Uh, So I'm always dealing with just what I'm dealing with at the moment. Right. Okay. I think that their favorite clients. I mean, to work with a Clive Davis or to a Michael Lynn, you know, people who really have taught me things and gave me the pleasure of being around them while they were being who they are. That sort of, you know, I was talking to a friend last night at dinner, and she she met uh, Armani because of work. And I thought, you know, how else would we have ever met these people if it wasn't for what we do and how, you know, lucky one is to really be touched by these people and and walk away with really amazing experiences. So to me, that is more important than what did that room look like or, you know, how big or small the budget was. For sure, I forget the small budgets, but... uh, (laughs) They, um, you know, they, 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 it's just the people. That's what stays with you. So you talked about your designs as being from the gut, and you've built this, you know, global brand. So how much of your company's vision was from the gut? The more successful you are, is it easier or scarier to take risks? Uh, it's not about taking the risk. It's about keeping up with your standards of how am I still as creative as I was five years ago, ten years ago, and always trying to meet that that goal of pushing myself to, you know, really be as good as I have been. And was there a, a sort of a long list Unfortunately, maybe there should have been. I mean, I have a showroom on the same floor as my office. One day the landlord came to me and said, oh, the people next to you are moving. Do you want it for your office? I said, no, but gee, I've always traveled and I've always wanted to buy things, you know, and, and but I never had the room for it. So I, you know, rented the space and opened the showroom. I mean, did I think about it? No. It's always been just... You know, pure luck 
that things have worked out. I mean, you have to bring something to the table, uh, but it's all about being at the right moment at the right time, touching the right situations, you know, that really makes most people successful. So in terms of mindset, did you always expect, I mean, obviously you had this rocky beginning, right? So when did you accept that you were going to be successful in business and then what daily pra- did you use any daily practices or rituals to stay focused or to get yourself on track? On the last question, um, you know, I always was um, not very social but hardworking. And so I was more comfortable working than, you know, going out. So it was a sort of complete focus on what I was doing and because I love what I do. So it's not what most people would call work. It's really pleasure. I love I love designing. So it wasn't something that I felt, oh, my God, I have to do this. Uh, I just did it because I loved doing it. And so it just it sort of fed on itself. I run, I exercise, which really helps, you know, to, you know, to sort of bring up the problems and deal with them. I think that the biggest thing is the travel, because right. I love to travel. And I think that that has kept the creativity alive. Because each time you're experiencing different situations, it sort of gets your mind, you know, thinking about things, about, you know, you know how to approach something in a different way, how to look at things differently. And so that was really the thing that has kept me, you know, moving forward because there's always a new place to go, a new thing to see. And um, that sort of has kept me excited. Very cool. So you've collaborated with, you know, luxury brands like Kravitz and Ralph Pucci right, right. and Niedemeyer. Um, you know, when did you start the, the, the collaboration process or the licensing process and how did you know that the timing was right? I've been doing licensing, I would say, for like 27 years. It was something that was done sort of on purpose in a time when people really weren't doing licensing that much. Uh, And how it started in a very funny way. Uh, I was traveling through Thailand, and I came up with some designs for flatware. And I had them made and started selling them and then produced China and started selling that. And then from that, it, it became very successful. And from that, then manufacturers started to come, like a company that is no longer around, but it was called Sasaki. And they did China and flatware, so I just started designing flatware for them. Uh, Niedermeyer I've been doing for the last um, God, 20, 24 years. Carpeting, Baccarat, it's sort of, came about in a very sort of by chance. And, you know, that's and some have worked out and some have not worked out because I think when you're doing product, 
it's a marriage, and sometimes marriages don't work, you know, of what your expectations of the quality, their expectations of sales. Uh, so it um, it really, you know, it's it's a very sort of touchy thing. Hmm. How big is the team you work with? In total, there's 14. Wow, great. Okay, and, and does that vary or at times or is that pretty standard? Sometimes they leave, um, <laughs> but they, they get replaced. I mean, we have um, one, two, three, four, uh, four, five architects, and then, then the rest are interior designers, and we have office manager, we have receptionist, somebody who does PR. Right. Right. So you are the face of it all, though. So are you comfortable with that visibility? And because, you know, increasingly there are demands on designers to be the face of their brand, social media, to be active in that way. Or how do you feel about that? Uh, well, I think that it, it it's such a hungry animal to feed because it's you have to be in all these different, if you want to be playing with the rest of the kids, you have to be in all these different social medias. I mean, very time-consuming and, and just, you know, and just sort of, I think, in a way, changes your focus a little bit. But, I mean, you have to be doing it a certain degree of it to just keep yourself out there in the public eye. A lot of designers have a hard time saying no to projects that aren't financially realistic because they want to be published, and you've been published a lot. How important is it to say no? When I started, it was a very different time than it is now. And so when I started to do interior design, um, there was a very small group of designers that were doing modern things. Everybody else is very traditional. And so the magazines really came to us because it was news. Uh, now it's just so incredibly competitive. Um, I think that when you give somebody something for nothing, you they never respect you. I think that you need to maintain some sort of standard of what you can do and what you can't do. When they're trying to get you to do a whole apartment, you know, for $2,000, you're not going to be able to achieve, usually, what you want to express. So I think it's very hard. And I think that many times they take advantage of people who have just started. You know, well, I'm going to give you a break or, you know, I'm going to... You know, all my friends are going to see you. You know, what I always say in those situations is, let's just deal with your project. What may come later will come later, but this is about you and about your project, and, you know, let's focus on that. I think that the most important thing is that designers have to have a contract, have to act right. professionally have to be very clear 
business people besides creative people. And if you don't, you may be the most talented, but if you can't run a business, if you don't know how to sell your ideas, you're not going to succeed. You're always going to be struggling. And I think that you need to um, really have all your ducks in a row to really succeed. And it's sad to say, but I think that the creativity is really low man in the totem pole because it's the professionalism, it's how you sell it, and the high level of taste. The, the higher the level of taste you have, the harder it is because what your vision is is not usually the common denominator. So it's getting all those other things polished and done right that makes them as clients respect you, you know, when you have a contract, when you're laying all your requirements down on paper, they know that this is not a hobby. This is a business. And I think that when you don't do those things, I think that you're doing a disservice to the industry in general. If I asked you to complete the following sentence, design is... I think it's, it's so subjective because what you may think is beautiful, I may think it's ugly. <laughs> I think it's very individual, unfortunately. And I think that the media in general now has made it that everybody has good taste and everybody can do it themselves. Uh. <clears throat> and... Um, it's not the case. I think that there's certain people who have a vision the same way as somebody can sing or dance or, you know, write a book. You know, designers have that capability to visualize a completed environment and have a drawer of thoughts and experiences that they can apply to a job. So design is wonderful until the clients turn into monsters and then it's a little harder. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. Our music was created by singer-songwriter Claire Hamill. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. You can join our community at Facebook forward slash Voice Lessons Podcast to speak with me live after every episode is posted. And if you have a question or comment or want to suggest a guest, you can do it there. Or if you're on Instagram, tag us at Voice Lessons Podcast and use the hashtag LessonUp. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at VoiceLessonsPodcast.com. <laughs>